This is Gil Weinrich. I'm speaking here with Robin Conti, Seeking Alpha's Marketplace Contributor Success Strategist. She is the author of one of the most eloquent articles I've ever read on Seeking Alpha. It was written about two years ago. It was called, It's Time to Stop Being a Jerk with My Money. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for this audience to revisit that article and see what's happened in the two years since she has written it. Robin, you describe the idyllic affluent milieu of an area in Seattle where you bought some used furniture, and you go on to write, and I'm quoting here, I've only owned a home once for a brief period of time in Southern California. I sold it at a profit before the mortgage bubble burst, which was lucky, but those profits were wiped out by a lengthy and contentious divorce. This is real life here, folks. Until last October, I'd been diligently making payments on my 2010 Hyundai and rejoice the day I sent in the very last one. I have a credit card balance that I can't seem to pay down no matter how hard I try. I'm nearly 40, and I don't have nearly enough saved for retirement. I rent an apartment and recently moved out of a rented home. I've tried budgeting, no spend, being more disciplined in general, seeking financial advice, etc. For someone who's worked professionally in finance for nearly two decades, I'm embarrassed to admit my personal finances are a mess. There's no excuse for it. I had an epiphany the other day. I need to stop being a jerk with my money. I need to get that credit card balance paid down and make sure I didn't accrue any new debts. I need to start setting aside new money. I need to start setting aside money for my kids' college education. I have two. And I need to bolster that retirement account pronto. To be utterly candid and open, I've made some very bad personal decisions in my life that have cost me dearly. And it's time to grow up and make better choices for me and my children's sake. Okay, apologies for the very lengthy excerpt, but I think it was necessary because it gives uh, real testimony to just the utter transparency with which you wrote this. The scenario you describe is far from uncommon. Commenters on our financial advisor forum have described similar issues. Yours was unique for its raw honesty. Two years later, Robin, it's time to ask, have you stopped being a jerk to yourself? (laughs) Well, hi, Gil. Thanks first of all, for having me on to your podcast. Um, and yes, I'm pleased to report, yes, I have stopped being a jerk with my money. My finances look much better than they did two years ago. So the debt is gone. Uh, the, the household balance sheet is, is balanced and, and my financial life looks much, much better. Wow. That's great to hear. I had no doubt. Maybe you could tell some of our listeners how you got there. Well, you know, it's interesting. What I have discovered is that I mean, obviously, it's about the money, but but there's a deeper issue, I find, I think, especially with women, and that is that there's a lot of self-esteem tied into, I think, the financial decisions that we make, at least speaking for myself, I can say that that's true. And I think when you don't love yourself, you tell yourself these stories, I call it my money story, where you think, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to prosper. I don't deserve to have success. I don't deserve to have these things. And so, you know, it it sounds a little woo-woo, but I believe very much in the law of attraction and and things like that and and kind of how, you know, the thoughts that you put out there is kind of what comes back to you. And so that was kind of what I was putting out into the world, right, is that I don't deserve these things. I don't, I I can't, I'm not good with money. I, I shouldn't have money. And so when I switched that thinking and I started to, you know, perceive myself differently and love myself. And, you know, that comes from just a lot of work and a lot of, you know, I've worked with a life coach and I've worked with a therapist and I've done all these things. 
And so, you know, once I was able to turn that mindset around, you know, first of all, money started to, to flow into my life. And I'm not talking about, you know, gobs of money and, and I didn't win the lottery or anything, but, you know, things kind of switched around and, you know, I was able to, to, to make more money. And I just learned to handle it better. I just, you know, I, I talked in that article about, you know, I tried budgeting and no spend and all these things. And I guess I, w- I either wasn't doing it right or I just, it, again, you know, the mindset shift, you know, I was able to, to take a better look at my finances and just figure it out for lack of a better word. I mean, I just, you know, I just started telling my money where to go, you know, and, and I think what was really important too was the concept of, you know, they say pay yourself first. And I didn't necessarily do that all the time. My mentality was, okay, the money comes in, I'll pay all the bills, you know, I'll pay for groceries, I'll pay for, you know, all the discretionary stuff. And then when whatever's left over, I can just spend. And I think that that's a really important thing as well is that I've, I've shifted that and now the money comes in and I pay myself first, you know, I contribute to, you know, our, our 401k and I have a bunch of other savings. I do have college funds set up for my children now that I contribute to. And so I make sure all those things are funded first and then I pay my bills and then whatever I can spend, you know, and it's, it's just, it's a system that works a lot better. That sounds incredible. So first of all, getting sort of rehabilitating your self-esteem was was the key first step. You mm-hmm. also mentioned in passing that you had some sort of coaching involved. And since this forum is usually for financial advisors, and I, I suppose I should ask you about that, how important did that sort of provide you an objective viewpoint? And, and honestly, how important was it? Was it of relatively minor importance or was it a key thing in your financial rehabilitation? Um, I think in terms, because of the the lift it gave me in the self-esteem area, I think that it was critical to my financial rehabilitation. Um, I think that, I think my biggest takeaway from that was that is, is you are not your thoughts, you are not your feelings, right? And, and, and we can have all of these, you know, sort of negative, negative self-talk that, that you kind of, tell yourself and things that, you know, again, I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving of this. And, you know, I learned how to turn that around and say, you know, yes, I am worthy. And yes, I do deserve this. And, you know, saying all these positive things to myself and affirmations. And again, it sounds really woo woo, but, but it was the catalyst for me. And then I should mention too, that I have a fantastic financial advisor um, she's actually, she happens to be my best friend as well. So that works out. I really trust her, but you know, we were able to, to sit down and, and I'd had financial advisors before and, and I don't know, um, if it's, it's a factor of starting to work with her or the shift in mindset or a combination of all of it. I, I think it's a combination of all of it where things started to work better. You know, she could say to me, okay, you know, here's the financial picture and here's where, you know, we can improve and here's what your cash flow looks like and here's what you should be doing and here's how your retirement looks and all these different things. And it was very easily able to pivot and make adjustments and change things. And it, it, it's not, you know, it used to be painful, right? It's like, oh gosh, every penny, you know, but I need the money for this. And now it's just, um, I don't know, I'm sort of able to just find it and, and shift mm-hmm. my budget and make it work. And it's just, Okay. It's just easy. Well, we want to make it as easy as possible for those who are listening. So 
I'm trying to tease out causes and effects to the extent that, we're, that, that that is possible. So one of my questions is, how much of this was, you, you had certainly mentioned you had a difficult divorce and you had, uh, you had, a, you had a big uh, move from Southern California to Seattle and then and you had you know, children in tow. There are all kinds of circumstances. But what I'm wondering is how much might have been deeply rooted in your personality some people just kind of have it together financially and some people maybe don't, uh, or how much was it circumstances or, or so forth that led to the difficulty and then to your ability to turn that around? Sure. I mean, I think a lot of it is circumstances. You know, I'll be, I'll be quite candid. The relationship I was involved in, I was sort of the provider. Um, so, you know, we lived on one income and it was, it was, it was hard. You know, it was hard to, to, you know, frankly, when you have an extra mouth to feed an adult mouth, it's, it's you know, it's challenging. And um, I think that that contributed greatly to, you know, I think when, when so um, to kind of back it up, when you have, you know, money coming in and you have someone who's perhaps not as, I guess, aware of where the dollars go, for lack of a better word, and you know, I'm not trying to throw, throw my ex-husband under the bus, by any means, but, you know, this is the reality. And so, um, you know, I think that there were decisions that were made. um, And again, you know, coming back to my self-esteem where it was like, okay, you know, we would have conversations and instead of saying, no, we can't do this because the money isn't there, it was, um, I had a bit of a, a, a placating attitude where it was like, okay, we can do this, you know, and then I kind of go back and have to crunch the numbers and figure it out, right? It's like, okay, well, we can have rice and beans this week because, you know, he wants to do whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And so it was just a lot of, um, you know, and I find this is a recurring theme in my life is that I, I quite honestly haven't always been very good at standing up for myself. And so you know, when it came to certain conversations around money in my household when I was still married, that was definitely a factor at play. I just didn't, I just backed down and I let, you know, I kind of let the situation dictate even if we didn't have the money, if that makes sense. It does. Actually, it seems that uh, that you started to say that circumstances were, were key. You ultimately came down to saying that personality was key because you were very forgiving of your ex-husband's um, lifestyle issues. So, Sounds to me like that is a part of it, and I certainly have seen that on our forum. People saying that it's just hard for certain kinds of people to change their ways, and yet you have succeeded in doing so, and you explained to us how you've done that. So I would like to now look a little bit towards the future, and ask you what are your financial goals? Sure. Um, yeah, I think that that's a great question. I uh, obviously definitely looking looking toward retirement, and excited about that. I'm. I'm happy to report that I'm that I'm on track for that actually I my savings are savings are going well and things are going well and and so that's really good and um, you know obviously sending my my children to college I think that you know I was I was very lucky in that my my father was extraordinary with money and he was able to send both my brother and I to school you know I, I we both ended up with scholarships but you know dad was able to step in and, and make up the tuition difference, which is amazing. Thanks, Dad. Um, but, you know, I, I will be in a situation where I will be able to help my children. 
attend colleges. I'm, I'm pushing hard for UCLA because we, we live in California again now, and Go it's a really good school. So, um, so pushing for that, but uh, in-state tuition. But that aside, so I'll be able to help them go um there will be some loans but but they'll be able to to have some help from mom so that i'm really proud of that and i think ultimately you know it's funny i'm a little bit of a gypsy so i you know people people talk about oh they want to buy a house and and those kinds of things and and i would like something that is mine to live in you know i'm still i'm still renting apartments and that's fine but uh for now but I think, you know, I would I would like to, to buy an RV or buy a tiny house, actually, and, um, you know, have a home that's mine that I've paid for, but also, you know, be able to move it if, if I'd like and, and get a change of scenery. So, so those are kind of my primary goals. Very nice. You're also looking to help other people in various ways with their goals, and that seems to be evident from a review of a new book that you published last week. The book is called Common Financial Sense, and you wrote the review for 401k TV. I'm going to quote this brief snippet of your praise for the book. Quote, chapter 13, titled Monitoring Your Progress, is one of the most compelling parts of common financial sense. Through a series of well-designed bar charts, the authors illustrate clearly and succinctly the benefit of saving for retirement at as early an age as possible and the high costs of waiting to save. End quote. Financial rehabilitation has become something of a mission for you, Robin. Can you tell us a bit more about the book, its authors, and the benefits for, for readers? And perhaps most importantly, what does the book advise those who didn't have the foresight to start saving for retirement early? Sure. Um, so, yeah, so Common Financial Sense is written by um, two wealth advisors, uh, Harris Nydick and Greg Mikowski, and um, they founded a financial advisory firm in New Jersey. It's called CFS investment advisory services and the book is it's it's really it's it's a great resource for really anyone who's starting out anywhere in their their retirement journey i mean they do obviously advise to start saving as early as possible i think there is a bit of a a bent towards younger savers obviously because that's that's the audience that they want to lock in um but it's really it's, it's a step-by-step guide and it really walks you through like what is your employer's retirement plan? It, it it sort of focuses mostly on 401k and 403b. How do you invest? What kind of investments are there? Um, it talks about asset allocation, you know, obviously, you know, risk tolerance, kind of where you are um, in terms of your age and, and how much risk you want to take on and, and those kinds of things. And as is often said in the retirement industry, this book, I think, provides the same advice, and that is that it's never too late to start where you are. And I think, you know, so whether you're 25 or 45 or even 55, there are opportunities to set aside as much money as you can. And just, you know, again, coming back to the, the, the theme of just start where you are. You know, the most important thing is just to get started. I remember part of your original article two years ago, you concluded with the thought you just didn't want to see yourself working till, till, till your last breath. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> That was your intention. It looks like you're on track. And my impression is that despite all the good intentions of financial advisors or just investors um, wanting to save, usually they, for one reason or other, they don't get serious until their 50s. So the chart that, I, that uh, you described in Chapter 13 didn't look as pretty for somebody in his 50s as for somebody in his 20s. 
but nevertheless, what would what would be the steps of somebody in the 50s who hasn't really a couple that haven't saved enough? What should they start doing? Sure, I think that um, you know it's interesting. I think what happens in your 50s is kind of reality sets in, right? It's like oh boy, you know, retirement's you know 15, 20 years off, whatever it is, and and I think people kind of go oh boy, um, and and there's a lot of factors at play. I and mean, I think at you know at age 50, people are kind of getting into or if not already into that empty nest phase and so you know their kids have either gone to college or graduated college they don't have you know the the sort of day-to-day expenses that come with having children right and and, you know they're kind of they're getting into their later careers so there's there's earnings potential and they're kind of in those prime earnings years and so I think you know one really big thing that people 50 and older can take advantage of is um, the catch-up contributions that the IRS has. And so I think this year it is um, an extra $6,000 that folks age 50 and older can put away in their workplace retirement accounts. So the IRS limit for 2018 for um, savers is $18,500. And then again, um, folks age 50 and older do have this additional $6,000 in catch-up contributions that they can make. So I think that's a really big opportunity for um, for folks to catch up. And then I think, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm not a financial advisor, so, so uh, you know, I don't want to give advice here, but I think that, you know, any opportunities above and beyond the workplace retirement plan, you know, if there's an IRA situation that you could take advantage of. I think also after tax contributions, um, you know, a lot of employers will offer like a Roth 401k, so that allows you to put aside after-tax dollars. I think that that's a really big opportunity because not only does that money go in after tax, but then when you take it out, you don't have to pay taxes on it. And I think that's really important for people who um, who are kind of approaching retirement and who might not want to take that tax hit when they when you know because they started later. But again, you know, I, I think one really big thing is that if you do have a financial advisor, if you are thinking about consulting with one and Gil didn't pay me to say this. Um, I definitely think Nor that would I. <laughs> I definitely think that it's worth um, consulting with one and just, you know, seeing where you're at and, and then taking the steps necessary to, to reach your goals. Well, there you go. You, you named a number of technical um, steps a person could take with IRAs, with uh, you know, tax savings, uh, IRS provisions for people who are over 50. But ultimately, I think the key issue has been behavior change. Somehow you made the unique breakthrough that most people struggle with. Wherever they're at, it's hard to make big, substantial changes, and yet you did it. So maybe as a concluding thought, how does somebody, whatever the issue is, make that key breakthrough in changing behavior? I think that the most important thing, honestly, is to be patient with yourself because I think if somebody had said to me two years ago, you know, where I was at, that I would be sitting here today saying, I have my financial house in order. I don't know that I would have believed them. And I think it's just, it's a a slow process. It's like moving a really big, heavy ship, but it, it happens. And it's just, it's taking, it's really, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about baby steps and it really is. It's, it's, it's baby steps. It's just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and just, plotting through it and figuring out just tackling one thing at a time, you know, whether it's a paying down debt or making a budget and learning how to stick to it. And that doesn't happen right away either. It takes months to 
adapt and acclimate to a budget and figuring out where your money is going and how to tell it where to go. And then again, I think the most important thing is, is the, the idea of saving and paying yourself first. And even if you can only save $5 a week, if you're doing something and you're seeing measurable progress as you're going, I mean, $5 a week over time, over, over the course of a year adds up and it maybe doesn't add up to much, but it's something, right? And I think, you know, for me, that was the biggest shift in my behavior. It was really exciting to see these tiny bits, these tiny dollar amounts that I would put aside and seeing them grow and build over time. And that was really exciting. I think the reason is because even though it's $5, that's not important. The importance is the, it's the importance of starting a new habit, right? Yes. Well, these have been words to the wise. Seeking Alpha's Robin Conti has stopped being a jerk with her own money. I think that will be an inspiration to all of our other listeners as well. Thank you so much, Robin, for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Gail. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure as well.